Hey, good morning again. Um, I'm not Heath, so surprise, uh, you get me twice on one morning. Oh, cool, you're, you're, in, you're in luck. Um, even if you are in our overflow or online, uh, man, welcome. We are glad you are tuning in, that you're listening, that you're here this morning if you're in this room. Um, man, I, I love that video, and I love the last kind of song we sang of, of being able to come as we are. I think in, in, my tra- in transparency with you, um, I haven't always been walking with Jesus. When I was seven years old, eight years old, I uh, gave my life to Christ. I, I prayed the prayer for those who um, are Christians who have gone to church, who, who know Jesus, who have done that. You, you understand what I'm saying? When I tell you I prayed the prayer and it was, my mom was in the room and, and she was like, let me go get your dad. And I was like, no, he's going to make a big deal about this whole life change, saved thing, right? And and so she, she convinced me to, to allow him, and so I came to know Jesus, but, but then after that, I wasn't always walking with him. I wasn't always um, pursuing uh, Jesus. And in fact, when I think of like this coming as you are, I think about how, how God had preserved me and has um, prepared me for what he would have me do. I, I even think about my freshman year in college when I am... <clears throat> Like at, I'm like out at my friend's house on a Saturday night and we went to church every Sunday morning and the rule was you go to both services or you clean the house. And so obviously I am not cleaning the house and I will be at church. And so I'm out Saturday night with my friends and we are not making good decisions. In fact, no, we are making bad decisions and just doing whatever. And and the curfew at that time was 2 a.m. I had to be home at 2 as a freshman in college and... I find myself, it's like 6.45 in the morning, and I am not home. And so I drive very quickly to my house. I, I pull in, I do the, like, the, the, the stealthy like, drive down the street and just cut the car off, and like coast to the curb, right? And I jump out, and I hold all of my keys except the one I need to open the door, and I am like slowly turning that, and, I, and you turn the handle before you push it open. Like, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm reliving my, my sneaking out days um, right now with my kids trying to sneak out of their room. Like, oh, please, Lord, right? So I come in, and I turn the doorknob, and you shut it before the latch hits. Like, you've got to get it just right, and, and you know, like, where to step and where not because it's going to creak. And so I walk in, I'm like, okay, I don't hear anybody. I don't see anybody. Like, uh, you don't know where, it's like a home invasion, right? Like, I don't know, like, where people are in the house. <clears throat> and I know if they find me, I'm in trouble. So I kind of sneak into my living room, my kitchen. No one's in there. Oh, man. And I go to the sink and I get a cup of water because I got to calm my nerves. And, and my mom comes up behind me and she puts her hand on my back. And she says, I am so proud of you. And I said, what? She said, you, I was going to go wake you up to get ready for church and you got up on your own and you are already getting ready. I am so proud. Like, I don't know. Like I, in that moment, I think I would have rather got caught than instill this like false sense of pride. <laughs> but, as I, but as I look back, man, I just think like, and if you know Jesus, you, you can do the same where you can look back and you can see how, how God is, has been just preparing and, and protecting you from all of the sinful and wrong decisions you made in life, all the things that it could have gone drastically wrong that, that he's kind of protected you from and prepared you from. Like It came to the realization that Jesus was pursuing me. Like the whole time, my whole life, like Jesus has been pursuing me. 
And he's still pursuing me. I even think in my sinfulness how, how I so often will choose things that aren't pleasing to God, that choose selfish things or, or, or wrong things just in general. And yet he never abandons the relationship. Like he never runs from me and never scares God off. He's never said, man, you're too bad. And I've done some dumb things in life. And I believe that he's not just pursuing me, but he's pursuing you also. Like some of you may be in here, you may be listening, you may be in overflow and and you're in a place where you don't know about God or you just have questions, you may have doubts and you're expecting to see the senior pastor and this dude walked out. (laughs) But the fact that you're here tells me that, that God has a plan for you, that I don't know what events brought you here this morning, I don't know why you're sitting in the seat where you're sitting at this time. But I do have faith that God has a greater plan. That Jesus is pursuing you. But here, I want to be clear. I don't think he's pursuing you because what you've done in life isn't that bad in his eyes. I don't think he says, eh, you're okay. I could could have a relationship with you. I don't think you've done anything to earn his, his good favor. He's like, ah, you've kind of made up for those dumb things you did. Now we can have a relationship. No, I don't believe it's because you're not that bad or or because you've done something. I believe that Jesus is pursuing you is because it's who Jesus is. That Jesus is one that, that pursues us. He's one that desperately cares for you. When the world wants to preach a different message, when everything else falls, Jesus says, no, I, I'm pursuing you and I, and I care for you. We're going to kind of explore this in God's word this morning. We're going to look um, in Luke chapter 5 and kind of pick up where Heath left off last week. What you need to know um, is what we do here at River Oak often, not all the time, but often is when we read God's word, we stand. And the reason we stand is not because it's some weird ritual. It's not some um, like, hey, we're going to go up, down, like, no, like, we don't need to stretch. Like, the reason we stand is because we believe that God's word is, is living and it's active. We believe that it's important and it's valuable and it's holy. That it came from the God of the universe who is timeless. And so, though the stories in here, though the events in here may be dated to a, a later date, The truths in here are still applicable to us today. And so when we stand, we say, God, we believe that. We trust that. We we honor your word. And so in reverence of reading God's word, I'm just going to ask you to stand with me. And if you're new and you're like, but I don't believe God's word, and sit down. I don't, that's you. That's fine. Um, (laughs) I ain't going to judge you. We're in Luke 5, verse 27, and we're going to read down to 39. It says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the, t- at the tax office. And I'm in the CSB version. I should have said that earlier. Uh, by the way, it's the easier to read version. And I have trouble reading as it is. And so I picked the easy one. Uh, it says, after this, you just need to hold on to that. You should mark it, underline it, circle it, point an arrow up. Right after this, says, man, something else happened before this. After this, Jesus went out and he saw Levi sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. And so leaving everything behind, he got up and he began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. 
But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often, and they say prayers. And those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you, can, you can't make the wedding guest fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the, groom's, when the groom will be taken away, and then they will fast in those days. And he also told them a parable, and this is kind of the last part we're going to read. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece of the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skin. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill, and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wine skin. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says the old is better. And we're going to dive into that in a little bit too. I'm going to ask you all just to pray with me. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word and this truth. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do this morning. Lord, I ask that you um, would good, give peace to those in here that are, are in turmoil in their hearts and their minds right now, that they'd be able to listen and hear your word, that they'd be reassured by you and who you are. God, that you would do mighty works, do works that only you can, Lord. That you would soften our hearts and our minds to your truth. That you would change us, that you would grow us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't take a seat. <laughs> where we pick up in Luke 5, where we pick up is, is this tax collector that Jesus encounters this guy named Levi, which you need to understand is there's four gospels. And those are four um, accounts of Jesus's life. That's what it means by the gospel. We believe it's true. We believe it's holy. Uh, the accounts are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and there's four different people from four different perspectives who say, I encountered Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm going to write everything about Jesus to be true. And what's amazing is all four of their stories line up and they record different stories at the same time. And Levi, in this moment when Jesus calls him, likely is the moment that Jesus changes his name to Matthew. And so Matthew, being one of the Gospels, actually records this story in his Gospel, but never refers to it as himself. Like, he's a humble dude. He's a really humble guy. Like, you can see that God does some big things. And so we walk up on Matthew, or Levi, as we know him in this story. And, and, and he's a man that's a tax collector. What you need to know about tax collectors is they were employed by um, the government. They kind of were like contracted out to collect taxes. And they would collect on all the things that the government needed. But here's the thing. The government needed like, hey, I need $100. But if you made $120, you get to keep the 20 And so the incentive there was then to overtax the people and to steal and to rob from the people. And so they had a very bad name. They were often secluded. They didn't have friends. No one wants to hang out with some dude that robs you on, the, on a daily basis. Like, that just doesn't work out. And so here is this man, and, and he's kind of going through the motions in life. You don't know if he's broken or hurting. We, we, we really don't know, like, his heart yet. And, but if you and I were, like, to walk up to him and, and to look at him, to see him, 
we would, we would likely judge and say, man, this guy is not living the life he should live. Like, he's not living his best life. He's going in a wrong direction. Like, he's robbing people. And so it was in this moment, in this, in this place that, that Jesus um, comes up. He says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw this guy, this tax collector, and he's sitting at the tax office. He's, he's currently collecting taxes. And he, he may have been an honest tax collector, but more likely than not, he was like the rest of them. And he was robbing people blind. And he said to him, follow me. So after this, this after this refers to what Heath talked about last week. See, last week he talked about um, how Jesus was in this house and it was packed full of people and these four guys had a paralyzed friend and they, they believed Jesus could heal. And so they take him to the house, they cut a hole in the roof, they drop him down. Jesus forgives him of his sins and gives him eternal life. Amazing. But physically cool, he says, okay, now you can get up and walk. And so in that moment, in that instance, like the guy's muscles come to life, his tendons are flexible, his balance is there, and he knows how to walk. A lot of things in one moment. He gets his mat and he walks out dancing, rejoicing before the Lord. And so likely if Jesus walks out and he sees Levi sitting there, then Levi likely saw four guys carry a paralyzed dude into a house heading towards Jesus and then sees the same paralyzed man carrying his own mat dancing by. And so the testimony of this paralyzed, previously paralyzed man is likely churning in the heart of Levi when Jesus approaches him. That's the same thing I think we see here. That River Oak Church has grown not because we have some strategic plan to make this place a mega church, right? Like, we don't care about that. Like, this place has grown because Jesus is at work, and I believe that there's been a lot of spiritually paralyzed people who have walked in this place, found healing through Jesus, not a man, not a team, but through Jesus, and walked out of here and danced in front of their coworkers and their families and their neighbors, and, and people say, man, I want to walk like you walk. And our community has been affected because of the testimony of others churning in the heart when they come into contact with Jesus. And then when Jesus says, follow me, they say, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. I want to follow you. Likely in Levi's life, and it's churning. Jesus comes to this man who, who most likely is living in a lot of shame knowing being conscious of what he's doing is not right. Seeing the outcome of robbing, robbing poor people. And likely a lot of loneliness because people don't want to be friends with this dude. And so he's in shame and he's in loneliness when Jesus approaches him. And you understand that's what sin does. That sin separates you. And causes shame to overcome you. Those aren't God-ordained feelings. Those aren't how God intended you to feel and to live. That is what sin does. That's the product of sin in our life is it separates us and it shames us. This man is there in that place and Jesus walks up to him and he says, I believe in you. I believe in who I made you to be and I want you to be like me. Will you follow me? And Levi 
the testimony of others churning in his heart. It says, leaving everything behind, he got up and he began to follow him. Leaving everything behind, leaving business, leaving finances, leaving habits, leaving everything behind, he gets up and he follows him. Like, I think I would have even, like, collected my belongings. Like, man, this chair is mine. Like, let me go ahead and take this with Like, anything, right? No, he's like, I don't even want any of that. Like, I don't care about it at all. I think some of us come to the conclusion that to do what Levi did is a big deal and a hard deal in our life. That we've come to the conclusion that it takes great planning. It takes great financial stability. It, it takes uh, great knowledge of God's word and, and the Bible. It takes us understanding and having a certain level of conviction, especially if you're in this room and you're in a place of how did I get here? Like, how did I get here in my marriage? How did I get here in my family? How did I get here in my job? How did I get here in my affair? How did I get here in this addiction? That some of you are in that place where you're asking, how did I get to this place? And the thought of trying to turn it all around Seems like a pretty big deal. But what you need to understand is that's the lie from the enemy. That if this is what following Jesus looks like, then all it takes is you getting up. Getting up out of that wrong relationship, getting up out of that wrong addiction, getting up. And I know it's going to be hard. It's not like, oh, it just doesn't matter anymore. No, no. But it takes you getting up and actively beginning to fight against that, to get up and, to, and the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my family, the way I treat my work. It means just getting up and then starting to put one foot in front of the other as you head towards knowing Jesus and as you head towards being like Jesus. That it's not this overwhelming, let me write a plan out. No, it's just saying, hey, in this moment, I'm going to choose Jesus. And I didn't choose him last moment, but this moment I'm going to. This now next day, man, I'm going to choose Jesus, man. My, I'm not going to go to that place. Instead, I'm going to go to someone to pray for me in my addiction. I'm gonna, I am going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose help that's going to push me towards Jesus. Like if that's what following Jesus looks like, then, then often the world lies to us about how hard it is to actually start that relationship and that journey. Please don't hear me say that addictions aren't hard, that sin doesn't grab you. No, it does. It clings to you. It's not something that Satan wants to let you go of. Like, it, it, no, it, it is a battle but it's a battle that's done one foot at a time. I'm gonna take that next step. I don't know what that is for you in that position. I'm gonna take that next step. I'm gonna follow Jesus's plan for my life. I'm gonna follow Jesus's call on my life. I'm gonna trust Jesus even though I'm in a bad place. I don't know how I got here, but I'm gonna trust Jesus that he's calling me and if he's calling me, he's gonna provide for me. I'm gonna do it. That's what Levi did. It says he gets up and then he, he invites Jesus into his life, like literally invites him into his life. He, he throws his grand banquet, it says, and the people he invites, it's, it's kind of comical, like the people he invites 
or a large crowd of tax collectors and other guests who were with him. They are the most sinful people, the most wretched people in that city. He's like, yo, come to my house. Like he probably fulfills the mission of Jesus greater than I ever have. Like he comes to know Jesus and what he does, he like doesn't hide it from his friends. He doesn't seclude his friends. He says, no, 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 I'm gonna invite you in to what Jesus is doing in my life that you may be healed also. Because what we know is people are hurting around us and people need Jesus and they need life. But yet so often we say, "Eh, I'm following Jesus. Levi invites him in. He invites him in. So amazing. It says, and then the Pharisees and the scribes. Pharisees are people who believe that the law would, would sustain them. That the law following these rituals, following these, these um, habits, following these man-made rules, in God's eyes made them holy, made up for their imperfection, made them perfect. They, they believed they were better because of how they could follow their own rules. It says, but the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Which you need to know, and maybe even in this room, there is always the person whose own agenda gets in the way of God's plan in the life of people. Like I think about it in student ministry where I have students coming in all the time and they're bringing friends all the time and and we get some of the students who have never been in church before. They've never experienced church before and they come with a lot of worldly habits and worldly traditions and worldly cigarettes that they smoke in the bathroom. If I'm lying, I'm dying, right? Where it's like, dude, just do it outside at least. Like, come on. Like, it's all smoky. I'm trying to help them out, right? Like, we're like fanning it. And yet, what happens then? They come with their their worldly language. And I tell you, it's the saddest thing with the conversation I get to have with people sometimes that say, why are they in here? When are you going to kick them out? Why do they have to stay? They shouldn't be allowed in here. That we get to a place where we say, why are we eating and drinking with sinners? And Jesus responds. He says, it is, those, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You can underline that verse because probably greater than any other verse in the Bible, it sums up why Jesus has come to earth. The whole reason God sent Jesus to earth was not to save those who thought they were good. He says, no, I've come to call, not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've come to call sinners to a new way of life, repentance. Greater than any other, he says, man, it's right here. I've come to call the sinners the sinners to repentance. Some of you feel like you are sinful and the natural reaction is for us to say, let me get myself right before I go to Jesus. 
It's like if you had a maid at your house and you know they're coming. And, and I had to be honest, like, that's my wife, right? She's free and she's always there. Um, and I don't treat her like a maid. I love you wherever you are. But what the natural tendency is, is like, let me clean up before the maid gets here. Like there's a level of cleanliness in which I need to have my house because I know what she's going to think of me if she walks into this filthy house. Like, and the truth is, that's her job. Her job is come, or his job, excuse me, is to come and to clean your house. Like that's the maid's job. It's to come and clean, but yet we feel like, no, 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 they can't see everything. And that's how we are with Jesus. Is that we're like, yeah, Jesus, I know you've come to, to call a sinner to repentance and you've come to forgive, but I don't need you to forgive everything. Let me create and get some things right in my life before I walk to you. Like, it'll just be some minor sin that I need forgiven of and, and, and then we'll be okay. He says, no, no, I've come to, to call the sinners. Like, that's where Jesus sees you in your brokenness, in your filthiness. He doesn't see your Facebook, Instagram self where your kids never cry. Like, I know they're crying at home. I know it. He sees you in your, in your unperfect, unrighteous self, in your brokenness. And that's where he calls you from. That's where he calls Levi from. In fact, if, if sin is what prevented, if sin was what prevented Jesus from coming, he would have never been at the house. But sin is not what prevents Jesus from coming to Levi's house. Sin is what motivated Jesus to come to Levi's house. That it's our sin, our brokenness that motivates Jesus to love. To love is an action. Sin is what motivates him. And I'm not telling you to go out and sin a lot because you're like, and Jesus is going to come after me. No, no, no. I'm telling you that you are sinful, that I'm sinful, and it's what motivates Jesus to pursue us is our brokenness. Luke 6.20 actually says that, and it's the next chapter over. Jesus gives this sermon. He says, no, in fact, if you see your brokenness, blessed are those who are broken, who see their sin, who, who, who call for repentance, who see that they are unworthy and unholy. He says, they will be blessed when they recognize that in light of me. He says, man, that's a blessing to recognize that, not to be hard to it, not to fake it, but to find your brokenness. And to realize that Jesus brings healing. The problem is, it's really easy for us to get on the other side of the banquet table. To be a Pharisee in the situation. To get caught up in our ways and in our laws and in our rules and our principles. And say, no, no, this is how church should be. This is who should be in church. This is how my life works. And I can check the box and be seen as holy. That that's what the Pharisees' problem was. See, they begin to question and say, why don't you follow all of our rules? Why don't you follow our tradition? Why aren't you fasting when everyone else is fasting? And in that time, they, had, they, they set these uh, principles up, these rules up where they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And they believed that they would, they would powder their head. They would not eat that day. They would, not, they would mourn. 
in their sinfulness because they believed that it made them more holy according to God. And so they had their fasting days and, and they were fasting. And likely when Jesus calls Levi, it's a Monday or a Thursday on one of their fasting days. And they said, why aren't you fasting when everyone else is fasting? See, they were more concerned about a set of principles than a person. Jesus says, it's not the principles that save you, it's the person. That Jesus is not a set of principles. Christianity is not a set of principles. It's simply you putting one foot in front of the other towards Jesus and trusting Jesus and knowing Jesus. He continues on, he answers them with this parable. He says, no one tears a patch from new garments and puts it into old garments. Otherwise, it will tear the new, but also a piece from the new garment will not match the old. And all I can think about is being in junior high and my mom being like, let me patch those jeans for you. And my mom would put a brand new patch and she'd be like, yeah, it looks great. And I'm like, mom, no, it doesn't. This looks awful, right? Like I even tested her. I wore something I knew just looked terrible on me that had been affirmed and made fun of for. And I walk in front of my mom and I say, mom, how does this look? And she says, you look so cute. And I said, mom, we are done here. I am done with your fashion advice. It is over. Because we try to put a new garment with an old garment, it doesn't match. And then he says, what happens then is not only is the new garment or the old garment unfixed, but the new garment is ruined. And then he talks about wineskins and he says, uh, what they would do is they would skin a goat and they would uh, like sew all the skin together except for the neck hole. It's going to get brutal. And then they would pour grape juice into the neck hole and then sew it up. And then the, the gases as it fermented would expand. Like, I don't know if you've ever had goat skin wine. I never have, but this sounds disgusting. And so then it would, it would expand. And then once it was like set there a couple of days and they would pour it into another wine skin, let it expand. And they'd do that two or three times as a filtration process. And then by the end, they would have this great wine. The problem is if you poured new wine that needed a lot of room for expansion into an old, brittle, cracked wineskin, what would happen is it would explode. Your wine would hit the ground, be ruined. Your skin would be ruined, never to be used again. He's telling these Pharisees who were concerned about principles instead of the person, who were concerned about their rituals instead of Jesus' saving grace, and he said, you can't have a patchwork religion. That some of you in here have taken what you've heard about Jesus and you've tried to patch it into your life. That you've taken your culture, you've taken your political correctness, you've taken your lustful passions or even wrong desires. You've taken this truth about Jesus changes lives and you've patched a hole in it and you've taken it all and you've drank it down. And your theology and your whole worldview is, is kind of weird. But you're okay with it. People don't get it, it's fine. But what happens then is life hits you and the things you thought Jesus would do as a patch on your life, he has not done. And your life turns out when things hit that it's unfixed that it's not as good as you thought it would be. And so then what happens? Both have no value now. The gospel has no value in your life. And your life is still not fixed. That both are ruined according to you. 
And that's the person that loses faith. That's the person later in life that you're like, they were walking with Jesus, I thought, what happened? Because they weren't walking the way Levi was walking. They had patchworked their life. They had tried to keep some of these old things, these things they know they weren't, they weren't that God was calling them to give up. And they had also tried to throw Jesus into the mix. And he says, and both are ruined. And both are ruined. He says, I'm calling you to new life. I'm calling you to a new love. I'm calling you to a new walk. And I'm calling you to new desires. He says, you can't add me to your principles, to your tradition. I'm a new person. If you continue to track what happens with, with Levi or Matthew, what you realize is they don't record what his friends do. The ones that are at the banquet, the ones that experienced Jesus, that saw Jesus. Like you gotta know some big things were being said there that Levi had a big testimony for them that, that the testimony of Jesus was churning in their hearts now through Levi. But yet we don't know what they do. We don't know. Do they follow Jesus? Do they not? Like what happened? We don't know. But what we do know is what Levi does is that Levi from that moment says, regardless of what my friends are doing, regardless of what society says I should do, regardless of what my family thinks, me abandoning my business, regardless of it, I'm following Jesus because I know Jesus is calling me to it. That he follows Jesus. That he chooses Jesus. That he gets murdered at the end of his life for Jesus. but he inherits eternal life. Much greater, not based on this, not temporary, but eternally because of Jesus. Jesus finishes with this verse. He says, and no one after drinking old wine wants new wine because he says the old is better. You understand, Jesus isn't reversing his point on the whole wine analogy. No, what he's saying is we are people of habit. That the tendency of man, the natural tendency of man is to stick to what we know. It's to say, man, Caleb, that's a cool message. That was a really good story. But I'm kind of comfortable here. He says, that's going to be your natural tendency. It's to stick with the old line because you're going to say, ah, it's better. You know, if you approach a woman on the street who, or a man who, who's been selling themselves um, and, and is selling their bodies for money, for drugs, for whatever, living that lifestyle, they say you've got to approach them with help seven times. That someone has to go to them seven times. I can get you off the street. I can get you recovery programs. I can get you out of your drug addiction. That you literally have to go to them at least seven times before they say yes before they abandon this life of, sh- of street living and selling themselves, that doesn't make any sense. But yet when you think deep, it does. Because often the fear of change, the fear of the unknown is far greater than the pain caused by the current circumstance. That Jesus, when he calls us, often the fear of going where Jesus would call us and doing what Jesus would call us to do is often greater than where we are currently. And because where we are currently, we've become okay with it. We stay in it. 
that we are the same as a woman on the street who we've gone to seven times and said, do you want off? That's you, that's me. That's our natural tendency to say, Jesus, I don't know where you're gonna call me and I don't know what you're gonna call me to, but man, I can't do it, no. If we take anything from Levi, what you need to understand is Jesus is trustworthy and God is good. And that his plan for you is good. And that if you say yes, it will be scary, but God says, man, I am the great comforter. That you might be fearful in that. But he's calling you to a new life. He's calling you to a new adventure. He is. He is God. And he says, I believe in who I made you to be. I'm pursuing you. Will you follow me? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes as we close out. The question is simply, are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to say yes to Jesus? Would you heal me? Would you forgive my sin? Would you help me follow you? Some of you need Jesus. You don't know him, you, you, but, but you feel the, the tugging at your heart that, that the testimony of Levi is now churning in your heart. That you came in this place thinking, man, no, you are too sinful, you are too wrong. And hopefully you've come to a realization, no, it is your sinfulness. There's a reason Jesus is pursuing you. This is a time where where you can pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Where you can ask him to be the Lord of your life, where you can ask him for forgiveness of sin. That there's people up front that you can respond to. Don't let this day go by. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It is because of God's great love for us that he sent Jesus to die in our place for our sins. This right now could be an encouraging moment for you. Or this could be a pivotal moment where the trajectory of your life changes forever. Jesus is calling you out of shame. Jesus is calling you out of principles. Not that those are bad. Those can't be our God. He's calling you to a person. That you would put one foot in front of the other as you follow him. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and this truth. We love you. God, walk with us this week. God, for those in here that you're tugging at their heart, that are nervous about coming up, that are nervous about talking to you, that are living in a lot of shame, God, may you reassure them in this moment. That you see them. And you want a relationship with them. God, give them courage. We find life change. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.